0: Welcome to Cover 4 Live. My name's Brandon Adams. Happy to have the entire Dog Nation team, Mike Griffith, Connor Riley, Jeff Sintel, on, all on hand here as well as we get ready for a very fun evening tonight talking about everything that's going to happen in Athens on Saturday as Georgia takes on Kentucky and a whole host of recruits are on hand to take in all the festivities and all the action there. I'll also tell you coming up in the days to come, we're going to have a very special Cover 4 Live announcement. Can't make it for you right now because all the eyes are still being dotted, the T's are still being crossed, but coming up very soon, we have a brand new horizon for Cover 4 Live, which we'll be telling you about. And I'm really, really excited to do this in the uh, days to come. As I said before, we got the entire Dog Nation team here. We'll talk about the action between the white lines coming up in a moment. But it is also on Saturday setting up to be a gigantic day for UGA recruiting, much like the Arkansas game was two weeks ago. And obviously in keeping with the theme of the week, after four-star tight end Oscar Delp, Made his pledge to Georgia last night. Of course, one of the great traditions around Dog Nation is as soon as Georgia gets a good one, fans are then left to wonder, well, who's going to be next? Well, Jeff, is there a chance the next guy to commit to the G is actually in Athens in Sanford Stadium on Saturday? Uh,
1: yeah, guys, there's a chance. And this is true Georgian right here. And, and Georgian on the recruiting trail means whatever you did that was really stinking good, you're going to try and one up it uh, shortly thereafter. Georgia's going to have a five-star receiver in the house. That's uh, Luther Burden III. He's going to make his official visit. He's going to um, then make his, his commitment decision on October the 19th. Georgia gets the last official visit. But all of a sudden, we got some intrigue here where the most highly rated uh, prospect in the building uh, likely won't be Luther Burden III. That would be Travis Hunter. Reports are that uh, he plans to be in Athens for the second time in three weeks. Uh, But he had a pretty strong denial, pretty strong, robust. Hey, man, I'm not going anywhere. I guess he just wants to check out the game and the red lights. Uh, But Travis Hunter, five-star, number one player in the country for 2022 class. I mean, he's a guy that I think right now is talented enough. He was on the Georgia roster right now. He would be a starting wide receiver. He was on the Georgia roster right now. He would be a starting cornerback. Uh, with the prevalence of, of course, of maybe you know, a falls worth of practices for all that. That's how talented Travis Hunter is, and you've also got a five-star defensive lineman in Michael Williams there as well. All of a sudden, uh, it's just another another mega giant ginormous. Uh, Recruiting weekend, I think Michael's going to pop up uh, the top targets. Here's our top targets list. If we want to go through it, Big Bear Alexander not going to be there. Jaheem Singletary, another five-star cornerback, he is expected to be there. Uh, Christian Miller is not expected to be there. Luther Burden the third expected to be there. Also anticipating the potential of another trip from Kamari Wilson as well. That stuff's getting, getting ironed out as well, but – Brennan, I don't know if you could dream this up any better, man, than the way things are going right now. I will say this. Let's not get out in front of our skis. I still kind of take Travis Hunter at his word. He puts the tweet out tonight that, hey, man, I'm not decommit. I'm not going anywhere. Maybe this is transfer portal recruiting for down the road. Who knows? But right now, I think this is just the start of something with Georgia. This isn't a flip moment. I think this is a slow build of the case of
0: anything. So, Connor, you follow all this stuff really closely. I'm curious of everything that Jeff said there, what you find to be the most interesting recruiting supply right now. I would say that the Hunter part is possibly the most curious, but as Jeff said, you don't really know what that's building to as of yet. So either in addition to that or beyond that, what's the most intriguing to you?
2: I think the the the, the Hunter stuff is obviously the sizzling Chili's fajitas that are walking past your table like, hmm, should I have gotten that? But I think the, the baby back ribs from the Chili's order – I actually think it's Michael Williams this weekend. And we've seen Georgia do well with young wide receivers coming and play well. And I have no doubt that if Georgia lands Burden, they could do that there. But I think this is a really important defensive line class for Georgia in this 2022 recruiting cycle. You look at some of the guys they're set to lose. And while I like Jalen Carter, I like Zion Logue, I like Nazir Stackhouse, bringing a guy like Michael Williams as a potential difference maker early on, I think could be really important that he is officially visiting this weekend. He is still technically committed to USC, and we're going to see what they end up doing with their head coaching hire, but the guy that I am personally most interested in that we know is going to be in Athens this weekend, it's not the sizzle of Hunter or, or the, the, the near-term commitment possibility of Burden. It is what ends up coming out of this with regards to Mikhail Williams and his ties to Georgia.
0: The guy I've compared Mikhail Williams to a lot is Trayvon Walker and that's not because it's a perfect player comparison because in a lot of ways it's probably not but the same way I was always very impressed with Walker in street clothes just look good in a suit you see him in an awards banquet or something like that he just looked like a kind of guy that I'll be playing in a place like Georgia I feel like Williams gives off the same vibe so I'm right there with you in terms of this being a very interesting name and Mike I think when you add Mikhail Williams into you know obviously what Oscar Delp did last night and what might happen with Luther Burden coming up in a few days and everything else that's kind of unfolding here. Boy, it really makes it seem like that summer of discontent where it did not seem like Georgia was as deeply involved with the elite prospects we've come to expect this program to be. All of a sudden, that feels like a distant memory. It also feels like a repeated memory for a lot of Georgia fans who felt like they have been there before with summers going one way to have the class fall into place when it's all said and done. But certainly here in 2022, it seems like another example of that right on schedule the Georgia recruiting class is seemingly heading exactly in the direction it's supposed to be going. Even if we can't say all the specific names as of yet or know for sure where it will be ranked, elite, whatever the threshold that is, it seems like this class is destined to cross that once again.
3: Yeah, you know, ranked third in the country right now with addition of Delp. And, you know, Kirby talked earlier this week about the importance of, of having on-campus games like this. I mean, when you've got game day coming here, it makes more kids want to visit – um, that helps out. I mean, for years and years, they've been punting the biggest home, you know, biggest game every other year in the conference against Florida, you know, and now you're seeing game day here and it's bringing all the great recruits in on campus where they have a chance to meet professors, to see where they'll go to school, to spend time and hang out with some of the other players, you know, reading some of the comments and Jeff and Connor's stories about Delp saying that he liked being on campus and, and being around, other players, maybe guys coming to Georgia games that wouldn't ordinarily come, right? You know, they wouldn't necessarily come for this game if it wasn't a big deal, if it wasn't ESPN Game Day and SEC Nation. So I think you're really seeing the value of of these on-campus games. You know, when they're big games, Kirby talked a lot about that 2019 Notre Dame weekend. I'm sure Jeff can reflect back on how big that was. And I think when we look back on this season, we're going to look at these games against Arkansas and Kentucky as pivotal weekends, and Jeff's pointing to his phone.
1: Yes. Uh, as, as if the subplot could not get any thicker, I just got a text that uh, Kirby Smart uh, is at the North Quinette North Collins Hill game. He's landed the helicopter. He's came <laughs> in over a helicopter. You want to talk about power moves? I, I knew I, should, I. You know, I, I – sometimes I'm like you know can you just stay home can you just stay home and not go to th- hold on I gotta get my clicker uh, obviously what's going on now is <laughs> now gonna turn on the North Gwinnett. the North Brandon Gwinnett. Gwinnett. Brandon looks and
2: sounds about 60 years old I gotta get my clicker he's got the the Wendy's hat on he's just <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't start till eight
0: uh, I'm watching it, Navy in Memphis right now but I gotta, I gotta see the Kirby copter here. And, and you know, here's another
1: thing. Here's another thing, folks. Let me just put this into. I'm, I'd love to. I'd love to hear, see Mike's eyes when he hears this. Brandon knows the story, but Travis Hunter's not even playing in this yeah, game. He's, he's injured. No, he's injured. So he's not even playing. So they're just coming to show up and. I mean, you know, you've got you've got a power trip happening right now. I don't think there'll be any FSU coaches or whatever, but certainly, uh, what is this, Brandon? A show force? At least this is certainly a lot of uh, all the king's horses and all the king's men. Will Muschamp's already there. Uh, so you have, you have Georgia coaches, you have the Kirby Copper, Copter. I've got a report that the Kirby Copter is there, and the young man's not even playing in the game. That's,
0: you know what that's makes crazy. me sad right now is I wish I would have known this before because I would have bought stock in a Florida State message board because can you imagine what those message boards are like right now, the meltdown that's occurring because literally – The only good thing that's going on for Florida State really at all, and they played a little bit better the last couple of weeks, but it's a disaster for the program that once considered itself a top five team each and every year, and it was a top five team each and every year. It's been disastrous as of late. The only thing that uh, this program has going for right now is Travis Hunter. The thing that Hunter is going to be in Athens two consecutive weeks and you've got multiple Georgia coaches, including the head man himself, landing the uh, Kirby copter there for the uh, game between uh, by the way, good high school football game here on Thursday night as well between Northwood and Collins Hill. uh but Mike if you're a Florida State fan this is the last piece of news you want to get because the only thing they've had to cheer about is the fact that uh Hunter including on social media again today so resolute. but the fact that he remains a commitment to the Seminoles
3: yeah you know recruiting is a tough game as we know uh Big Bear Alexander, the guy that was bleeding red and black, and then he decommits, and he's at A and and now he's back at Georgia, and A and just beat Alabama. So, you know, what color is he bleeding this week? You know, the kids are hard to predict and project. And I'll tell you, Jeff does as good a job as anybody at the following these guys, but it can be tough for sure. Is that the Kirby Copter right there?
1: Well, right there, the, folks. That's video of Kirby on the sidelines. Um, and then Connor, we're, we're gonna get, get popcorn, popcorn. gift
3: again from Kirby tonight. We're gonna get popcorn tonight, I believe that game was also Gip. that was
2: also a Thursday night game, if I'm not mistaken, when uh when Kirby swooped in there for I believe Harrison and Dalton. If uh, I'm also remembering, didn't Justin Fields get injured in that game that night as well? I believe he broke his finger and right. ended up ending his senior season there.
0: So bottom line for me on this, that's all good points, Connor. But bottom line for me on this, I've been doing high school football for a long time. Hunter is on the shortest of short lists, of the best players that I've seen for the reasons that Jeff said on offense, on defense. I mean, I have seen him going up against, and Jeff and I both saw this at the night against high college prospect competition. And he was by far and away the best player on the field. He is a man among sequels. And uh, I tell you, he, it, this is fun. This is fun. I don't know where it's all going. And I take Hunter in his word right now, but uh, Connor, I find it to be pretty entertaining at the moment.
2: Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. You know, there was a lot of hand-wringing earlier this summer about what's what's wrong with Georgia recruiting. It seems like that's sort of a yearly topic when things don't go well that way. But this team is backing it up on the field, and if they're going to continue to be the clear number one team in the country, I imagine that's going to attract a lot of talented prospects like Luther Burden, like Michael Williams, and like Travis Hunter.
0: We'll transition here and talk about the uh, dogs on the field for a moment against Kentucky on Saturday. You know, Mike, when you look at how it's expected to play out, what are your expectations for Georgia against Kentucky here this weekend?
3: Yeah, I just, you know, with Kentucky's not having a second good receiver, and, you know, I, I just don't think one receiver and one running back. Um, I guess I'm skeptical that Kentucky's going to run the ball effective enough to stay ahead of the chains against this front. Uh, I'm skeptical that this Penn State quarterback, uh, a former Penn State quarterback, is going to be able to make plays and not turn the ball over under pressure. Uh, I just don't think Kentucky has the horses to be much of a threat uh, against this Georgia defense, especially when I factor in the crowd noise, the type of environment that I know the Georgia fans are going to create, the havoc that I believe the front seven is going to wreak. It's just too much. And then the flip side... You know, if you can somehow neutralize the Georgia run game and nobody's really done that completely and force Stetson Bennett into third down throws, you got a chance. I just feel like Todd Munkin is such a great play caller. He's going to find that weakness. And Georgia has enough weapons that they'll be able to score some points on offense in addition to, I would say, probably a defensive score uh, on Saturday. Jeff, let me ask you
0: this. Last year against Kentucky, Kirby Smart didn't let, I'm assuming it's Kirby's decision, but he didn't let Stetson Bennett do anything. This was, this was one of the most boring Georgia games I've ever seen. I lived my entire life for Georgia football games. Last year's game against, Georgia, against Kentucky was really, really boring. And obviously, there's a lot of reason to believe it won't be the same way when these two teams get together on Saturday. First of all, Bennett's a year more seasoned because he's been playing some of that time. Maybe they trust him a lot more than they did you know, at home compared to being on the road last year. But because of the reasons that Mike also brings up, game day is there, CBS 330. you got the electric crowd. You want to keep it electric. Does that fact alone, the composite of what I just said, suggest they're going to be willing to let Bennett do more against Kentucky this year than they let him do last year? Because they basically made him play in handcuffs in Lexington a year ago.
1: Yeah, What is? what did we say last year? Let Munkin cook, let Bennett cook, let JT cook. I think they're going to look like – they're going to look like uh, since, since Connor dropped, dropped chilies, I'm going to, I'm going to break a rule and also drop Benny Hada. This is going to look like the the, the the Hibachi chefs at Disneyland, man, or whatever you go on vacation at your favorite Hibachi. Here's what I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, Brandon, I think this is a different Georgia. And I think, remember when Oscar Delp was in the house for his first game as a Georgia Bulldog visitor, game day visitor. This was earlier this year. This was very uh, impactful, uh, in impactful moments but I think George's first pass was the tight end I think the third pass was the tight end the fifth pass was the tight end with Luther Burden the third in the house uh, a playmaker in every sense of the word that I don't, I don't think we've really couched uh, Luther Burden the third well enough because yeah folks, go ahead Jermaine, Jermaine, Burton was a top 70 recruit. Arian Smith was a top 60 recruit. Dominic Blaylock was a top 35 recruit. George Pickens was a top 20 recruit. Luther Burton's the number six player in the country. Wow. Uh, this is, you know, where Georgia and again, Georgia is now elevating into getting he was formerly committed to Oklahoma. And I'm pretty sure that they're not going to show a pedestrian ground and pound offense with the chance to potentially uh, bring it home uh, around the turn with Luther Burden the third on Saturday night.
0: Yeah, I mean, this would if if Burden were to sign with Georgia this year, that'd only be the what the second five star in twelve years that Georgia signed the receiver position. Is that right? If you count true wide receivers, um, that would be Pickens, yeah. Yeah, Georgia stacked, obviously, five stars all across the board. They've had five-star athletes that have played receiver, but true wide receivers it would be Pickens and Burden going back to, what, 2009, the time you have to go back to to find the uh, previous there. So I agree with you, Jeff, that um, we should be highlighting just how significant this is. And, you know, Connor, you and I and Jeff, we were all coming back from Auburn in the night, and you said something I thought was kind of interesting on the drive back that, you know, eventually you may see the Georgia offense doing – what the Georgia defense is doing now, and I'm putting words in your mouth, but something in the effect of you've got to keep stacking that talent to get there because from a talent acquisition standpoint, the Georgia defense is just so far ahead of where the offense has been. But, you know, if you were to add an Andre Green Jr., if you're adding a Luther Burden to go along with what Georgia has been adding in recent years, you know, pretty soon you've got this wealth of resources on that side of the ball that really rivals what you have on defense right now. It is hard to overstate how big a guy like Burden liking what he sees in Athens on Saturday, announcing that pledge, then inking the deal later on. Hard to overstate how big that truly would be for Georgia.
2: Right, because you look at the success of this Georgia defense right now and there's a lack of a true superstar, and I think that's due in part to the fact that they're so deep across the front seven in terms of veteran experience, and they're just not there yet on the offensive side of the ball in in, in that sort of spot. But, you know, eventually when these wide receivers get healthy – they become upperclassmen. This offensive line really turned over a lot the last two years. And so you think two years from now when it's Broderick Jones, Amarius Mims, Tate Ratledge, Cedric Von Prahn are all veterans on this unit. You have, you know, Kendall Milton, you have Branson Robinson, you have potentially a Kenny McIntosh, those guys. When you're able to stack offensive talent like that, I mean, obviously the one big difference is that you do need a quarterback to be able to deliver to the ball. But Mm -hmm. I think as we've seen with Stetson Bennett – he can give you capable stuff there. So if you have good coaching in place, which they do right now, they have great coaching in place in Todd Munkin, I think that you're going to be able to see something similar with this Georgia offense going forward where it's not going to matter a whole lot, you know, who the number ones are because they are so talented throughout the entire lineup that they're going to be able to start doing things offensively like the Georgia defense is doing.
0: Mike, what stood out to me too when Delt made his announcement last night, I played some of this audio day on Dog Nation Daily from Oscar's interview with Jeff Santel is that he talked about seeing what Brock Bowers has done, making him feel that George was the right decision for him. And, Mike, the point that I've made here is, is that in previous instances when George is recruiting on the offensive side of the ball, there's this imagination required of, imagine how you could be used here. We're not doing that now because we don't have a player like you. But if you come here, we'll use you, and you'll have all this great success. And, frankly, you know, imaginations are just pretty limited most players want to go to a place where they see a guy that looks like them doing things that looks like the kinds of things they want to do. And now that Georgia under Munkin here going into year two can show a track record of success. And Georgia's still not the best offense in the country. There are still offenses playing better than Georgia is right now, but Georgia is better than it's been offensively. I'd say that this is on pace right now to be, uh, you know, if not arguably the best offense, the Kirby Smart's produced, in his time at UGA and whether you're burden, you know, maybe to a lesser extent, but certainly guys like Delp and others can point to current players on this Georgia roster and say, I want to be used the way that guy is using. Suddenly this Georgia team is a little bit more fun to watch, which I do think lifts the sales of your offensive recruiting.
3: Yeah. I mean, obviously the more explosive you are, the better, Uh, you know, the last two games probably haven't been exactly what Georgia and, has in mind you know when you're running the ball 56 times and throwing it 11 or running it 48 and throwing it 21 I, that, that's not the ratio that we thought we would see i don't think that's the true identity i think that's the that's the stetson bennett offense you know you got to run the ball get the play action game going uh, i think that's what's fit against the last two opponents i don't think it's the the pass first explosive offense that we thought we would see um you know but the fact that Georgia can change their offense to get the ball to the best playmakers, uh, to be that chameleon that takes what the defense gives you, uh, you know, it it says something, you know, the fact that Brock Bowers was able to be so productive so fast at at that uh, really more of an H back than a tight end. And that's kind of where I see Delt being. I mean, he's, he's not much of a blocker yet. I mean, the kid's got a lot of room to grow and get bigger, stronger. But I see him being more of a move tight end like a Brock Bowers. I think that's the idea with the the route running, the ability to run after the catch. He's obviously proven that playing in a very competitive football market. Um, you know, and it would be the same for any position, to your point. Uh, that, you know, and, and I think, you know, Jeff made a good point that, you know, they sure would like to show off a passing game. Well, they might have to because Kentucky has probably the best run defense they've seen since Clemson. I don't think they'll have a choice. I don't think they're going to be doing it to put on a show. I think Kirby's going to try to stay undefeated and and find a way to beat Kentucky, and I think he's going to have to throw the ball some, and and that will probably showcase uh, maybe Karis Jackson this week.
0: Uh, Connor, what do you think happens at quarterback? Mike mentioned – respond to this if you want to, then I'll ask you another question. Go ahead.
2: What (laughs) – They're going to have to throw the ball because I do think, as Mike sort of laid it out there, their secondary is the weaker, you know, their team, though. I would point out LSU a week ago, who has not been able to run the ball at all this season, did at least have some success there, there. and they are a little banged up Uh, on the defensive line, so you could see that there. But the last two times this Georgia offense has played Kentucky, throwing the ball has not been something that is even remotely on the menu. They threw the ball 11 times last season. Two of those passes were intercepted. And the time before, I mean, I'm still wet from that game in Sanford the last time these two teams played, and that proved to be a real harbinger of where things were the rest of the season. And I think BA was pointing out at the time, and I wasn't really listening to him, that yeah, you can blame it on the rain all you want, but there were serious, deep-seated passing issues on display there there that day in Sanford Stadium. Based off what Kirby said on Tuesday, I expect we're going to see Stetson Bennett as QB1. We might see a little bit of JT Daniels, but when I hear the word pitch count, I mean, that doesn't strike me as someone who's close to 100% and fully unleashing the version of him in this offense that I think we all thought we were going to see at some point this season.
0: Yeah, I mean, Mike, I mean, isn't it as simple as that? If he's limited in practice, he's not going to be
3: full go in a game until he's not, no, no longer limited in practice, right? Yeah, I would think that, you know, by Wednesday, he would have to be throwing pain-free and – you know, as we talked about this week, if if you give uh, JT this weekend off, you're really giving him two weeks off because next week you have the open date. I just know talking to people that it, it's it's killing JT not to be out there. Uh, you know, he wants to be on the field. Corson's got him on a pitch count. This is the way Kirby wants the situation managed. Um, got to be responsible and, and wait till you're 100 because if you uh, re-injure yourself, Um, you know, you could be setting yourself back another three or four weeks. And, you know, I I, I do think Florida is going to provide more of a challenge than Kentucky playing down there in the state of Florida. Uh, I do think that Tennessee uh, has been white hot moving the ball. I don't know that they're going to beat Georgia, but their offense does look explosive to me. Um, You know, I don't think Georgia Tech is any kind of an opponent or any more than Charleston Southern probably. But, you know, you're going to take your lumps and bruises – in that rivalry game and then you've got to get ready to probably play alabama and i think you want to have jt daniels available when you play against uh, an explosive team like alabama for sure and and i think you want them available against florida um, the gators are going to have some momentum uh, after saturday night i i think i think they'll beat lsu and gain some more momentum yeah my thing on uh daniels jeff is i, I obviously believe he's still this
0: team's starting quarterback And it's not just, well, you got to have him if you want to beat Alabama. I also think at some point in time, you want to have him as an on-ramp to get to that game, whether it be Florida, whether it be whatever. Now, to Bennett's credit, he's certainly not forcing anybody to want to rush Daniels back right now. And I think that Bennett deserves a lot of credit for that. But I still think that Daniels is the best option to beat Alabama. And it's not just being ready for that game, but it's also being ready – in time to be ready for Alabama, right? Get some games under your belt. Get some rhythm with this offense. Allow the offense to get in rhythm for you. That's all That's all part of, of what's really important here to me when it comes to JT Downs. That's why I'm hoping to hear at some point in time, whether it be the week going in the Florida game or, or whenever, the Kirby Smart says in the early week practices, the ones we've been told over the years are more important than the later week practices, that that, oh, yeah, Daniels is fine. He's out there. He's, he's performing 100%, taking every snap, taking every wrap. That's what I'm really hoping to hear from from Kirby in the very near future because that, to me, is going to be the indication that Daniels is ready to play again.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of curious, Brandon, about, you know, let's say both of those fellows are 100% healthy. Uh, I'm kind of curious whether there will be uh, – both of those guys will get looks, whether Georgia will force teams to prepare for both that kind of speaks to the shrieks of uh, Kirby Smart's defensive coordinator's heart. Look at the way Georgia's rolling right now, and uh, I think we see some of our comments noting that Kirby Smart is making an appearance on ESPN two right now. So the ESPN cameras have found uh, Kirby Smart and Will Muschamp kind of a power. Not move a coincidence. The Not a coincidence. Not I a coincidence. I, I, I think the media reach helps out a whole lot here, but. Um, Look at this. I look at it this way, Brian, George is playing so well right now, uh, and the defense looks like it's going to be able to chew up and spit out just about any type of uh, offensive attack that gets in its way. I just wonder, you know, like let's say all these guys come back. I just wonder some level of cohesiveness is that's going to be there late in the season. You might have a more talented team, but will you have a team and an offense that functions better through the – that's kind of been battle-tested through four or five games of reps the way this offense is starting to come together right now.
0: Connor, let me ask you what is probably a little bit of a loaded question. There has been a lot of media talk this week about Stetson Bennett, even more so than I've even probably given credence to on Dog Nation Daily. Is there anything that Bennett could do that would make you say, well, maybe he is the starting quarterback. Is there anything that Bennett could reasonably do that would make you say what – a lot of people in the media have said, whether they're just trying to stir it up or just trying to find something to talk about, whatever, there have been some, you know, what you think of as credible voices talking about this. Is there anything that Bennett could do that make him a starting quarterback in your mind?
2: Grow a few inches, cut a few seconds off his 40 or tenths of a second off his 40. I mean, he still makes a lot of turnover-worthy plays. And while I I think the Auburn game is maybe an exception to that at that point, we're going to see against Kentucky. He had to put the ball in the air I think one or two times against Arkansas and was lucky to not be intercepted there. And and the turnover-worthy plays are still there. They were a problem last season. And as long as that is still the player that Stetson Bennett is, I still think at the end of the day when it comes to it, they're going to go to JT Daniels because JT Daniels, Offers the greatest upside. The whole Stetson Bennett running thing—that's nice, but that's not a huge part of this offense. They're selectively doing that two to three times a game when it's when it's obviously right there. And so, yeah, sure, he's not might Matt Corral, that. right? He's not Matt. Yes, no, he's not. He's not running around back there like he's Lamar Jackson using his legs as a real weapon. They use it selectively. Uh, to, to pick up when a defense is keying in on, on, on a running back a little bit too much. Now, sure, you do lose that when JT Daniels isn't out there, but you also lose, I think, a more confident passer when Daniels isn't out there at quarterback.
0: You know, I think you're right. I don't think there's any question about that, that Daniels, at least in my mind, is the guy when he's healthy enough to return. But in the meantime, Mike, if we assume it's Stetson's team on Saturday, here's what I'm going to be watching pretty closely, and I do think this is a, a reasonable goal, even if he doesn't quite achieve it, I'm curious to see if Stetson Bennett can outplay Will Levis on Saturday. Levis' numbers in totality are probably not great, but in kind of a micro sense or a little bit better than some people realize, he's only thrown one fewer touchdown this year than Matt Corral has, and he's only throwing two-tenths of a yard per attempt less than Bryce Young is for Alabama. So two of the most important stats how many touchdowns you're throwing, how many yards per attempt you're passing for. He is in line with what you think of as, you know, two of the best quarterbacks in the SEC right now, but he's also facing the Georgia defense on Saturday. So in kind of a net comparison sense, I'm actually fairly curious to see can Bennett go out there and put up better numbers? facing the Kentucky defense that Will Levis can facing the Georgia defense. I, I think that'd be a, a pretty telling stat one way or another. It doesn't make him a better player than JT Daniels, but it would be an indication of what Georgia has in its backup quarterback if he can go out there and win that duel against Levis on Saturday.
3: Well, I mean, I I, I think it's loaded. I think if you put Stetson Bennett on Kentucky's team and Will Levis on Georgia's team, I think Will's going to have better numbers. And, you know, I, I said this yeah, earlier. I, I said a net in, in kind of a net comparison sense. Yeah. I don't think Stetson would start for any other SEC team. I don't. That doesn't mean that he can't play well for Georgia and win games and even win the SEC championship or a national championship. But the reality of it is is he plays for the most dominant defense that we've seen in years and years and years, and they're not going to ask him to do much. In fact, when Eric Zier was talking about it last week, he said, you know, Stetson's starting to realize that he doesn't have to make those throws. You guys mentioned the – Interception the first series against South Carolina, the interception, the first series against Vanderbilt, the dropped interception against Arkansas. I thought Stetson played one of his better games against Auburn simply because I didn't see that whoops throw. Now what you get with JT is the whole playbook. You get somebody that reads the entire field. It looks to me like Stetson's only reading half of the field and he does have good legs. He does have good mobility um, but when we talk about third down throws in SEC play, JT, nine of nine, nine third down conversions, stat two of 14 throwing third down conversion passes. He's eight of 14, but he's only completing at a 14% clip. So the, the, the remedy is simple. If you can get George in down and distance and force that's in into a third and seven throw or longer, you're probably going to win. But how many teams can do that? And, oh, by the way, Georgia doesn't mind punting because they got a defense that's going to smother you. They're going to kill you. This front seven, guys, there's just no offense out there. Connor? I was just
2: going to say one stat that B.A. didn't mention when talking about Will Loves, and it goes into the defense there, he's thrown six interceptions yeah, yeah. this year. Kentucky, I believe, it leads the SEC, or is last in the SEC in turnover margin. You want to talk about a recipe for disaster. If you're going to start turning the ball over this Georgia defense, which – I, I turnovers again. I think there's an element of randomness there, but if there's one thing this Georgia doesn't, defense doesn't do at an elite rate, it is forced turnovers right now. So if Kentucky's going to turn the ball over, like we'll leave his has in past games. I mean, this game could get ugly just as quick as, as that Arkansas game did.
0: Yeah, totally agree. It's not that Levis necessarily had a great season. He's just had uh, a couple of numbers that look good, kind of self-contained to themselves. And facing the Georgia defense on Saturday, I think it's a reasonable thing that Bennett could outperform him only having to go up against that Kentucky defense there as well Jeff is there anything else on this uh, game on Saturday night that you're interested in seeing yeah I think I just need a larger sample size I
1: know Mike found the stats and dug them up but I think I think what JT did on third down that was against Clemson Vanderbilt and UAB MFF, if I'm correct and Stetson's third down performance offense doesn't get to a lot of third downs with Stetson but Stetson's done this against Arkansas Auburn on the road and I believe a little bit of Vanderbilt as well so um I think this is a different Stetson this year. I'm not going to cook up a a speech here for the next 17 seconds and say that he has more natural talent or he's better than JT Daniels. I'm not going to say that. But but what I will say is, like, I certainly look at at the JT Daniels resume at Georgia, and I look at the, the Stetson Bennett resume at Georgia in a Georgia uniform, strip out all the recruiting rankings and who came in where, what. Stetson's got a pretty comparable resume to what JT Daniels has done at Georgia.
2: Does Stetson have a win as good as <laughs> Cincinnati last
1: year? Well, let's let's remind ourselves that I don't think Stetson Bennett – I don't think JT Daniels looked very good against Cincinnati last year at all. Um, I think he did enough to get Georgia the chance to win. And you can laugh all you want, but let, let, there's a lot of things here with this football season where we just don't know where things are going to go. Like somebody was talking about, and some of our commenters were excellent when they said – when somebody had the question, you know, what does Stetson Bennett have to do to convince you he's the man? One of our commenters made me laugh. They said, wear a a turtleneck. I think a lot of things here in college football, uh, you're just going to have to wait and see and it play out. I I think I know a lot of folks that are like, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, And again, not making the comparison that Stets better. I'm just saying that Stetson Bennett, what he's done so far, it's pretty remarkable.
3: Let Let me say this, B.A., Stetson Bennett doesn't beat Mississippi state last year. Stetson Bennett doesn't beat Cincinnati last year. Stetson Bennett doesn't beat Clemson this year. Uh, The proof was last year. JT sat out for a year and a half and came in and threw for 400 yards and saved Kirby smarts bacon. If Georgia loses that game to Mississippi state, our conversation about last season, about the recruiting class, if Georgia loses that game with five NFL players opting out to Cincinnati, our preseason, our offseason, the Kirby smart momentum, we're having entirely different conversations if JT Daniels doesn't come riding in on that white horse for the last four games of last year. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that JT Daniels is the starting quarterback. I'm not sure
0: I 100% agree with everything you said there. But to me, on the Bennett conversation, it should be as simple as this. There's a chance he's the second best backup quarterback in the entire country. Comparing him to other starters, maybe he's better than some, maybe he's not. The only team in the country that I'm sure has a better backup than him is probably Oklahoma. Now, I'm not sure who Oklahoma's backup quarterback is anymore, but that's the only team in the country that I know for a fact has a better backup than Georgia has right now. And to me, that's kind of all it has to be right now. I don't know when Daniel's going to play again. I hope he's playing by Florida. Uh, Maybe he'll he'll play some on Saturday. But the fact that Georgia has missed him for as long as they have with this kind of lingering, nagging injury that's kept him off the practice field – you know the the fact that uh that he's dealt with this long as he has, and Georgia hasn't skipped a beat. Like that alone, to me, is praiseworthy for Stetson and Connor. To me, it doesn't really have to be more than that. It's just sort of amazing that he's done what he's done, regardless of what he does from here.
2: Yeah, I you know Stetson Bennett has flown past the oh, he's earned his DGD stripes. The, the guy has done. Everything that has been asked of him to do so, so far. And I'd point out, a lot of other quarterbacks lost to Florida and Alabama in their time as starting quarterbacks at Georgia. Like, that is not specifically a problem unique to Stetson Bennett. I think Paul Moon on the screen had a good comment a few uh, a few seconds ago. Stetson Bennett's a good story, and you look at the way Georgia has played in recent weeks against some of those similar good stories. Uh, Arkansas, good story this year with the way they've turned things around under Sam Pittman. What happened when that good story went up against a team as talented as Georgia story wasn't quite as good as anymore. anymore. Uh, Bo Nix last week coming off that huge performance against LSU. Good story. Bounce back from being benched. The story wasn't quite as good after he got through playing the Georgia defense. And so I'm not saying that Stetson Bennett's ever going to see a defense as good as this Georgia defense. But at some point in the playoff, he's going to run up against a pretty talented team. It could even be in the SEC championship game if JT isn't 100%. And at some point, a good story, that's cool. But you need great players to yep. win these sort of games. And plus, Jeff,
0: if you want to talk about the potential of a Daniels against Alabama, assuming that's still the SEC championship matchup, which is no guarantee it will be right now, but assuming that it is for a moment, you know, it used to be there was this thought because of Johnny Manziel or Deshaun Watson or whoever else that, oh, you got to have the mobile quarterback if you want to beat Alabama. Well, last week they got picked apart by a true pocket passer. If Calzada did, or Calzada did the stuff that he did last week for Texas A&M, I mean, doesn't that open the door even more for someone like Daniels, who's – if he's going to beat Alabama, the the recipe with which he would do that is very similar to what Calzada did last week for Texas A&M. Yeah.
1: What I'll say about Calzada is I think Calzada has one of the strongest arms in college football. I think that's one of the things that benefited him. I think he might be that – in my terms of scouting guys over the last five or six years, I can only think of maybe one or two other guys that – had an arm comparable to Zach Calzada. I kind of thought that sooner or later, if Jimbo could coach him up, which is what he has done, he would structure a game plan around him to make him succeed. I think I think he has NFL first round arm talent. Uh, Zach Calzada's arm is that strong. Um, love the debate. Love the back and forth here and everything else. I'd just like to reiterate one point. Last couple of games, Stetson Bennett has also been doing it with freshman receivers as well. And not the best top tier receivers Georgia has also had. Uh, available and that's going to make
0: a quarterback not look at his optimum either. Uh, interesting stuff. Let me ask you one more hypothetical question, this Mike. Let's say that SEC decided to say we've seen enough. We're going to move Alabama, Georgia to October 30th. No, no need to play the Georgia Florida game. No need to play any other game. We're just going to play it October 30th. And let's see, you know, let's say that uh, JT Daniels said, "Hey, good news, everybody. I'm healthy and I'm ready to go." So you got bye week. You got, you got Alabama coming up October 30th with Daniels stepping back on the field. We haven't seen him since we've seen him, and he's stepping back on the field. Have you seen enough from Daniels yet to say, I'm picking Georgia to win that game against Alabama?
3: Yeah, if JT's the quarterback, I think they beat Alabama. I don't think anybody stays within double digits of Georgia if JT's
0: the quarterback the rest of the year. And see, that's where I'm a little different than you. I obviously think that Georgia's chances of winning the game are going up greatly if Daniels is playing, with no disrespect to Bennett. I think the chances go up greatly if, if Daniels in the game. I don't know that I've seen enough of him yet at his best in the Georgia offense to truly feel confident to say, definitely Georgia wins that game. For as much as this program has going for it right now, I still want to see more of Daniels in sync with the Georgia offense before I can say with confidence, yep, this offense ready to go out there and win that game against Alabama. 16
3: out of 18. I mean, the guy's 16 out of 18 on third down throws is, he was the highest rated quarterback coming back. And he did play with a lot of inexperienced receivers in the first game that that quite frankly got thrown a curveball against the Clemson uh, defense that it, Clemson is still one of the best defenses in the country. Their, their offense stinks, but you know, that, that was a tough assignment, you know, but I don't and think he played well in that game and I'm just being I honest. thought he played really well and you know, he was 22 at 30. He had one pick lad McConkey dropped the ball inside the five yard line that he blared in between two guys. But the problem was that they had a lot of trouble getting open downfield and they were getting rid of the ball quickly as it was, he was only sacked one time. So one turnover for Georgia, one turnover for Clemson. Uh, I didn't see much there. I didn't see open receivers he was missing, B.A. I'm, I'm, if you saw him, I didn't. Well,
0: it's not that. To me, it's it's the yards per attempt number. I just thought it was kind of a – I just thought it was an offense that day, even with the completions, that just kind of nibbled, nibbled around the outside edges a little mm-hmm. bit. And that's why I want to see more of him because I think the more you see of JT – the more that he gets a chance to get in, seeing with whoever it is that's playing receiver for Georgia, because, by the way, that's still a little bit of work in progress as well. The more he gets a chance to get in rhythm with those guys, the more I think it gives you the freedom to say, yeah, you know what, this really is a Georgia team this year that's got all the the, the pieces necessary to go out there and take down Alabama. By the way, speaking of that, let's make that the topic for our next subject here on Cover 4 Live here tonight. Alabama did lose this past Saturday to Texas A&M you can officially say this is a chaotic year in college football because that was like the one final domino to fall other than Georgia that steered clear of this, almost like a NASCAR race, kind of driving through trouble right now. But, uh, But Alabama found the trouble there on turn two last week losing at College Station. Connor, what do you think the Bama loss means for Georgia, if anything?
2: I think it shows that this isn't about what another team in the sport is doing at this point in time. If Georgia comes out and keeps playing like Georgia has has done so for the first six games of the season, the Bulldogs are going to take care of business. There is no, well, what about Alabama? What about Ohio State? What about Oklahoma? Georgia pretty clearly demonstrated through the first half of the 2021 season that even with all the injuries of wide receiver, all the injuries, at the quarterback position, this Georgia team is the best team in college football. And if you don't have your A game every week, if you're worried about what somebody else is doing, You can lose like Alabama did in a spot that I still think if they play Texas A&M seven, eight times, even if all those games are in Kyle Field, I still think Bama wins more often than not. But if you're not on your A game every week, that's what's going to happen to you. And I think Georgia knows that now. And I think Georgia, if they continue to show and prove that, hey, we're not playing to Alabama, we're not playing to Florida, we are playing to the Georgia standard. If they're able to do that, then I think this is going to be a pretty special season that's commemorated on January 10th.
0: Jeff, boy, that late national championship game this year. Uh, but anyway, that's a good point. And, and similar to Connor's point, Jeff, what I would say here is last couple of years, it's almost like if you're a Georgia fan and you want to win the national championship, you have to measure yourself against perfection because that's almost what it would have taken to beat Alabama 2020 and what it would have taken to beat uh, uh, LSU in 2019. The 2018 season was like that same way there, too. I mean, think about how good Clemson had to be to beat an Alabama team that had pretty much throttled everybody they played other than georgia throughout that season i mean you had to be historically good to have any chance of winning the national championship over the course of the last few seasons and you still going to be a great team to win a national championship here in 2021 but i don't think perfection is the marker here i don't think all-time great is the marker here and i do think that takes a little bit of pressure off the georgia fan who has to worry about every single blemish that his team has oh no uh you know vulnerable to secondary or oh no you don't have five all-americans on the offensive line or whatever else might come up over the course of this discussion, maybe you can relax here a little bit. And if Georgia can do nine more times what it did Saturday, it's going to win the national championship.
1: Yeah, Brendan, I kind of look at this quite simply. Uh, I think it takes the margin of error away from Alabama. That's what it does for me. That means Georgia will not have to beat Alabama twice. I think uh, if Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC championship game, well, then that's it. That, that That's the big thing. Everybody was wondering about Alabama getting back into the playoff. What if Georgia wins the SEC and then loses the ultimate Lucy Charlie Brown moment for the Bulldogs in the playoffs? I think it takes Alabama's uh, margin for error out of here. Mike, what do you think?
3: Yeah, I agree with Jeff. You know, you only got to beat Alabama once. You know, that's my thought. It, it does knock Alabama out, especially with the politics. Now, I think Alabama is one of the four best teams, uh, but <laughs> – I don't think that you're going to see two SEC teams make it with this new alliance that's popped up. I think this is one of the flaws with the college football playoff system is you're at the mercy of the committee. And, you know, even though people want to say that it's not political, it is. And we saw that with the way that uh, the Oklahoma AD backstabbed his own conference and did what was in his own best interest when they fleed from the Big 12. You don't think that he would act in his own best interest on the college football playoff committee. Of course he would. Uh, and the Big 12 even pulled the Texas A.D. off of the college football playoff committee because they don't trust him. So, you know, the college football playoff committee is the wild card. Reeling it back to your question, B.A., you beat Alabama, you beat them once, you knock them out. And um, I guess that leads into your next question about the field. So I'll stop right there. Well, we'll get to that in a moment.
0: But, Connor, Mike brings up an interesting work of fiction. So let's play this out. I'm saying a potential work of fiction here. So Mike says, Georgia beats Alabama, it's done though. What if Georgia beats Alabama 35-28? That's what Alabama beat Georgia by in 2018. Uh, there are a lot of Georgia folks and a lot of national media types that thought Georgia should have made the playoff in 2018 as two-loss team. Now I'm just gonna I'm just gaming this out here for a moment. In 2018, there were a lot of folks who thought Georgia had a substantial playoff argument as a 2 lost team. And if you're gonna start making comparisons here, Georgia lost by 20 points at LSU, whereas Alabama lost at the kind of at the buzzer against a um, against Texas A&M team. We don't quite know what their end of season resumes gonna look like. Can you tell me, as Mike just did with certainty, that a two loss Alabama team's not making the college football playoff?
2: I mean, look, I didn't think Georgia deserved to be in the playoff in 2018. But it, it certainly a lot of people do and did, and that's a pretty convincing case right there. I think if Oklahoma slips up one time this year with the unimpressiveness that they've had this season, I think that opens the door. The ACC is not going to get a team in. The Pac-12 probably isn't going to get a team in because I don't have a lot of faith in Oregon right now. So, I, I mean, you look at some of these other playoff teams, it'll be the – you'll have a, probably a, a one-loss Iowa team, a – because I think they're going to lose in the uh, Big 12 championship game to whoever they play from the Big 10 ace. You're probably going to have either an unbeaten Michigan or Michigan State somehow or a one-loss Ohio State or, or let's give Penn State some credit there if they're able to get Sean Clifford back. It's a messy top right now aside from Georgia. And so I do think with, with all the chaos that's been out there, even though Alabama was succumbed to it last week, I think there's still a way for even as a two-loss team for them to find their way back in there.
0: Yeah, I think it's kind of like we're sort of in a Michael Myers season. Like, you know, the, 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 the slasher's never quite dead, Mike. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, he falls off the roof. You think he's gone. You go over there and look. And all of a sudden, he's not there anymore. He's gotten back up again. There's a little bit of like Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers type thing when it comes to Alabama. Boy, until those final credits roll, I can't be 100%
3: sure that that evil villain's quite dead yet. Now, I remember our conversation at the SEC championship game at 2018. Ba, you you told me it wasn't over when I thought it was, and I thought the 2017 Georgia was going to run the table as well, and, and they didn't. Um, so I'm I'm going to uh, I'm going to yield to you on this. Uh, I just feel like this is a different Alabama team. I don't think they're as good. I, I, they're yeah. much younger, and um, we'll see what happens against Mississippi State on Saturday. You guys know I took the points and the Bulldogs in that one and Starkville. To your to your credit, I think it's a bold choice and
0: I, I think there's a chance you may end up being right about that. I think there is an argument to be made for Mississippi State on Saturday plus the points. I just didn't have the guts to make it. Uh, Jeff, the other thing that Mike points out there a moment ago that I, I think is interesting and I'm going to tip my hand a little bit because we're going to give our playoff four at the halfway point here in a moment. Because Oklahoma is leaving the Big 12, I don't think there's going to be as much of a of a concerted effort on the part of the national college football body to say, Oh, we need to include as many conferences as possible in the college football playoff. The way that I think the the committee typically has a fairly strong bias in favor of, Let's get as many conferences from the Power Five in a way represented as possible because you want to try to keep college football a national sport. The example I always use is you don't want college football to become the Sunbelt version of what hockey is, the kind of thing that's only popular in the far north region of our country into Canada. You want the thing to spread out far and wide. That's at least what the caretakers of the sport won't want. But in the case of Oklahoma, because they're about to join the SEC, I don't think they get the advantage of being the Big 12 conference champ if that's indeed what they become here and i think the door is actually open for at least one conference to get multiple teams in the college football playoff this year because i just don't see a lot of strong arguments for other teams i don't think cincinnati has a chance to make the playoff regardless of what they do the rest of the way And as I said before i think there could be a little bit of pushback against oklahoma because maybe some of the people in that room don't like the fact they're going to the sec what do you think of that
1: Uh, I think Oklahoma will probably have uh, the best player in college football by the time uh, December arrives. I think Caleb Williams will be that good for the Sooners. I think they're going to make it. Um, I think Georgia will make it. I think Ohio State will eventually come out of that thing there with the Big Twelve, and actually, I actually guess I'm going to disagree a little more. I think Cincinnati's going to make it. I think there's going to be a way that um, the way they keep playing, they've done enough on their resume so far. They don't have a, a lot of pitfall games left remaining. Uh, they still got a lot of players, and somehow, some way, people are going to point to that game last year against Georgia, that Peach Bowl, and they're going to go, "Wow, look how good the game they gave how good a good game they gave Georgia." Uh, I think that's probably when we're sitting here in week in week seven, <clears throat> I, that's what I see as the most realistic scenario. As much as I would love to make you smile like a kid on Christmas morning, Brandon, and have a playoff that includes Iowa, Cincinnati, and
0: Oklahoma, uh, I don't think that's going to be the case. Connor, I don't believe that Cincinnati will be ranked any higher than ninth by the committee when the first rankings come out in a couple of weeks. I don't think they'll be ranked any higher. I'm telling come you, on, right get,
2: get off that hit. Look, They've got wins over Indiana. They've got wins over Cincinnati. They'll have a win over Central Florida. This Cincinnati team is good. They have played good teams. I agree with you that I don't think this committee wants Cincinnati a group of five team in the playoff. They've made it very clear over the years they do not respect group of five teams. But this Cincinnati team is different. I think Jeff is right to point to that Peach Bowl performance last season with them going toe-to-toe against Georgia in that game.
0: You're arguing something different than I am. I do believe this is the most deserving group of five teams at the halfway point we've ever seen in the college football playoff era because they did win at Notre Dame and they won at Indiana, which was a preseason top 25 team. But the way the committee keeps Cincinnati out is they suppress them in the rankings. You can't start them high because they don't have anybody left. This is a weird year for Cincinnati. And I don't want to get into AAC talk too much. But the American Athletic Conference is probably the worst that it's been in the playoff era. There's just not a in fact. You can watch Navy and Memphis on TV right now and see an idea what the American Athletic Conference is right now. This is probably the the weakest the AAC has been. So in terms of giving Cincinnati and the Marquee when they don't have that opportunity, but in terms That's, of giving, I mean, oh, they let me play a ranked more, SMU team. Let me just finish one more final point: giving the committee a chance to kind of devalue them later on. Much more difficult to do. This is um, this is how they keep them out. They start them low and they don't give them room to move up. They do this every year with every group of five team. There is a ceiling for how high they're willing to go because while Cincinnati may have a good resume, they don't have enough fans to warrant the national attention.
2: So, yes, that, I, I agree with that last point there, but show me the group of five team that has a win as good as the win over Notre Dame right no, now. I, I told you, I, I, I said, this,
0: said this, they're the most deserving group of five team we've seen in the playoff era through six games. I still don't think it's going to matter. And you can say it's unfair, and I might even agree with you, but I'm here to talk about what is.
2: Okay, can um, you name me eight teams that will be ranked higher than Cincinnati on November 2nd? About five
0: Big Ten teams.
2: Well, I mean, Michigan and Michigan State will have been played by that point. Now, one of those teams, teams will drop, so. So, why don't we move into this then? Um, and Because uh, I don't want to talk
0: anymore a group of five. I'll give you my four most likely playoff teams right now. I think it's Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and Iowa. I think it's going to be two SECs and two Big Tens, and that's what I think the playoff's going to be.
2: So, About who does Oklahoma point, lose to? I think
0: they're going to be left out.
2: An Undefeated Oklahoma is getting left out.
0: I got two big, two SECs and two Big Tens.
2: Okay. Hey Brandon, what's well, Okay, for well, two, te- two Big te- Ten teams well, well, let at, me ask
1: you this. the Pounds um,
0: or Cincinnati? Let me ask you this. Um, what if Georgia loses close to Alabama? Now you got two 11-1s out of the SEC. Do you think it's right to take an undefeated Oklahoma over a one-loss Georgia?
2: I mean, they've shown that that's what they're going to do before, so that's what I think will end up happening, yeah.
0: I'm, I'm sort of thinking that maybe this year that might be a little different. Like I said, I got two Big Tens two SECs making the college football playoff. And and maybe part of that is based on the fact I'm not quite so uh, convinced that Oklahoma runs the table, but but nonetheless, that's what I have. Mike, what do you have as your playoff four after six games here?
3: Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Cincinnati. Uh, One thing to consider in terms of political consideration is they are headed for the Big 12 ultimately. Um, I do think that there's a, a, a metropolitan area in Cincinnati, albeit not a very big one, but bigger than what Clemson has to offer. And I do think people want to see the Cinderella. We, we've seen, you know, so many times these schools have come close. The fact that Cincinnati beat Notre Dame now maybe lends some credence to the fact that they should have gotten in over Notre Dame last year after Notre Dame lost 34-10 to 10 in the ACC championship game. Cincinnati went into South Bend and won more impressively there than, than 2017 Georgia did. And the fact that Cincinnati played Georgia as well as they did in the Peach Bowl – I think that holds credence. And, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, B.A. We in the media can make this case. And, uh, but in, in historically um, you know, the college football playoff committee has, has not been very generous to group of five teams, uh, but every dog has his day. And in the times I've talked with Bill Hancock, the half a dozen times his response is go out and play somebody. Well, Cincinnati did that. That's they, true. they won against That's Indiana. True. They That's won true. at Notre Dame, you know, The AAC, we can talk about it being weak, but Memphis beat Mississippi State. Mississippi State beat LSU. I mean, what if Mississippi State – I think the SEC refs may have beaten Mississippi State that day. Well, but the point is they played them even. You know, it it doesn't hurt to see an AAC team beat an SEC team. I mean – and I don't think there's going to be a lot of unbeatens. I think Cincinnati and, and Georgia will be the two unbeaten teams that are left when all is said and done. Um, I do expect Oklahoma to get tripped up at some point. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Ohio State win the Big Ten. I think Iowa will lose before they play in the Big Ten championship game to Wisconsin or Nebraska. I don't think Iowa's a very good football team. Again, it's just one frame of reference, but somehow the one team Vanderbilt beat was beating Iowa at halftime in Kinnick Stadium. I just. That's one of the most incredulous halftime scores since Alabama was losing at halftime to whatever garbage team that was, five or six. And Iowa's not even in that conversation. It's, it, it's just, it's not a good program. It's, they're not that good. There are four or five losses every single year. It's what Iowa is. They excel at, at uh, upper middle class mediocrity. It's just what Iowa football is. It's garbage. So I, I think Ohio State will probably win the Big Ten and be in the playoff. I don't think Michigan State is that good. I think Mel Tucker is doing it with Mears. I don't necessarily think Michigan's that good. They were fortunate to beat Nebraska. Ohio State has elite talent. Jeff Sentell could probably name you five or six guys on that team and tell you they're better than you know, based on that he thinks that you know Oklahoma's got the best player in college football and JT Daniels is mud. He's probably going to tell you Ohio State has better players on offense than Georgia does because they are elite. So. Ohio State, Georgia, Cincinnati, and give me the ducks because everybody wants to see the pack trend back in and I don't think they'll lose again. Jeff, who's your playoff for? Through six games. This is
0: not this is not, as I say on the show from time to time, this is not a binding referendum. This is not being etched in stone. This is playoff this is playoff four through six games. Who's your playoff four through six games? Georgia,
1: Oklahoma, Cincinnati, Ohio State.
0: Pretty interesting. Connor, what do you think?
2: Wake, Kentucky, Cincinnati, and Michigan State. I didn't ask your sweet 16.
0: (laughs) I I, I didn't ask who's going to be playing in the East Rutherford Regional with uh, Ian Eagle and Jim Spanarkle on the call. We're talking about college football here.
2: (laughs) Uh, I I agree with Jeff. I think it is going to be Georgia. I think it is going to be Ohio State. I think it is going to be Oklahoma, and I think it is going to be Cincinnati.
0: So – we all think the Caleb Williams thing last week changes the course of the season. Then, right? I mean, the, the no. emerging. Well, you don't think Oklahoma's make the playoff before that, do you? They're about to lose the game. No, I did.
2: I don't think there's a team in the Big Twelve that's capable of beating them.
0: Well, if they lost last week. Well, they lost last week. They weren't making the playoff. Were they? Right, but they won. Right, what I said. The insertion of Caleb Williams changed the season. Then, changed the result of that game. Gives them a chance to now. Matter when it goes undefeated. Uh, that's my point.
2: I mean, Spencer Adler could have still won that game, and he did have a big two-point conversion. But I see the point that you're making there, yes.
0: Um, well, there you go. Uh, Jeff, any more thoughts on yours? You didn't uh, give us a whole lot of uh, exposition on that.
1: <laughs> I would say, um, you know, you were talking about the things you don't think will think will happen. Um, Brandon, what's more egregious, uh, two Big Ten teams in the Final Four or Cincinnati?
0: I don't have any kind of beef with the. I mean, I think the Big Ten's a pretty good league right now. I don't. Have, I don't have a beef with the Big Ten. My issue uh, with college football is I got some issues with some other leagues from time to time, but I got no beef with the Big Ten, really. Currently, I think there's four teams in the top ten. Is that correct, guys?
1: Is there four, um, five? I forgot. Yeah, you've got Penn State, and you got Michigan State, and you got Michigan, and you've got Ohio State, and you got Iowa. So, <clears throat> right there, that's <clears throat> law of numbers. You would expect to see that. The Big Twelve, the Big Ten, excuse me, would have uh, two teams whittle their way down. Maybe a one-loss Big Ten team also in the in the in the Final Four. That would be interesting as well.
0: All right, let's take a couple comments, and we'll get ready to get out of here tonight. It's a uh, cover more now. We'll give you a chance to talk about what you want to talk about as we get ready to uh, wrap this thing up here this evening. Kirby's Visser checks in to say the Georgia's defense will shut the door on all offenses in college football this season. I guess that does lead to something that's been talked about a lot more this week, just given the fact that. You know this Georgia defense continues to earn praise, I'd say justifiably so. The stats continue to rack up about exactly what this group has been. You know, Mike, I've been able to believe the last couple of years we've kind of gone past the age of a team being able to be led by defense on the way to a national championship. Is Georgia changing opinions on that here this year with the way they've performed defensively as Kirby's Visor mentions there?
3: It's a cyclical year. A lot of the great quarterbacks have moved on. Um, you know, Jim Nagy, the Senior Bowl Executive Director, Pointing out there's not a lot of really talented upperclassmen in the SEC relative to last year that you're going to see in the NFL draft, right? So it's kind of a down year relative to historically good offenses the last three years. And and we said that, you know, the way Trevor Lawrence and Clemson came on in 2018 was no less than remarkable. I, I wonder in, in all seriousness, given Centels and some credit, could Oklahoma have that quarterback emerge like Trevor Lawrence did and and maybe Oklahoma is the hot team at the end of the year like Clemson was. Uh 2019 I still believe LSU was historically to me the that that's my team of the 2000s. Maybe maybe the USC Pete Carroll team with Bush and and Liner uh, that steamrolled Oklahoma but That was a remarkable team with Joe Burrow and those three incredible receivers that are lighting up the fantasy football rosters. Last year's Alabama team, I mean, take a look around. Speaking of fantasy football, I mean, you may not start Mac Jones, but Najee Harris is in your starting lineup, and Devontae Smith is pretty incredible, and so is Jalen Waddell and and Alex Leatherwood, and six seniors. You know, we got excited about two Georgia seniors coming back in the interior defensive line. Alabama had six of them. Imagine if Jake Fromm and – deandre swift and and solomon kinley had come back for their senior year how would things have looked for georgia so um just yeah a lot of thoughts there ba um and that's kind of where my mind goes on that connor robbie pearson points out in our comment section that not only do you have
0: colin seal and north Gwinnett on tv tonight you've also got arch manning playing here on the nbc sports network which if I'm not mistaken, this is one of the final events to take place on NBCS, and I believe this network's going off the air very soon, but one of their final acts of broadcasting excellence here is to show uh, Arch Manning game on TV, so uh, shout, shouts out for them.
2: I did not awesome. know that. Um, I think it's going yeah, off Arch, the air. Arch Manning, uh, I might zag while everyone else wants him in the program. I, I, I worry about Arch Manning, and by all accounts, he seems like a very grounded individual. But you look at sort of what happened to Spencer Rattler where he has a few bad games and it sort of spins away from him and now no one wants anything to do with him. Arch Manny's is going to have that ratcheted up by 10 just given what his last name is. And, you know, it's going to be if he, if he goes to a place where he's maybe got a city year as we've seen some of these talented guys do, um, I, I worry about how he might be treated and, and the effects that that might have on him.
3: Wait a minute. Are you saying you're not sure Kirby Smart can manage a quarterback situation? I
2: don't know if it's Kirby. I don't know who it is. Uh, like that, wherever Arch Manning goes, that head coach instantly gets on a ton of pressure because everyone is going to want to see him play. You thought it was bad when when Oklahoma fans were chanting "We want Caleb" against West Virginia, buddy. They're going to be chanting "We want Arch" against uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff in the first game there. So I, I, I worry about the Arch Manning situation and where we are as a society and hyping up these sorts of prospects.
0: So Jeff, my thing on Arch is I want Georgia to be in it at least down to the wire, whether he comes to Georgia or not, I'm not quite so sure I have strong feelings about that one way or another, but I do like the mainstream media attention that Manning gets. I mean, you know, Caleb Williams, I would say is probably a better prospect than Arch Manning is, but got a lot less attention as a prospect because his last name is not the name of, you know, all three, you know, all time great NFL quarterbacks. Uh, Whereas you know, obviously Manning does have that family legacy. So you just get more mainstream media attention. I do think that's good for a program. You saw how much he was talking about when he was in Georgia the other day. So ultimately, whether he comes to UJ or not, I'm still kind of glad that Georgia's involved as in recruitment as a Georgia fan because I like the program getting that national mainstream attention. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, you know, it's funny, Brendan. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian and his
1: offensive coordinator or quarterback's coach is at that game uh, on a Thursday night. Following Arch Manning, I think a lot of folks think that there's a lot of heat there when it comes to Texas with Arch Manning. But I'm going to say this. I think if there's any young man that can that can succeed in the crucible, which is what Arch Manning will do. I think that's going to be Arch Manning. I think he's talented enough. He's savvy enough. He's smart enough. His game is built on intelligence and mechanics. And let's look at this now. The year 2021 is nothing like it was. Uh, the pressure cooker, social media, all that. We get that, the hype on these kids. But let's time travel a little bit. There was possibly no more hype on Arch Manning back in the 60s. He was walking billboard for college football. The same thing can be said for Peyton Manning at Tennessee. It's not 2021 level heat, but it's the maximum heat that a high school prospect could have been coming in was when Peyton Manning came to Tennessee. The same thing for Eli Manning and Ole Miss. I think Arch Manning will handle it well. I just can't wait for the shows, Brandon, when you start talking nonstop about the fourth team quarterback trying to beat out Gunnar Stockton and and Brock Vandegrift and also potentially Carson Beck. Or maybe Stetson Bennett for his seventh year. He finds another way to get back on the field again. And then we can all discuss about how great a dog he is
0: and how much he's done for Georgia. I like all of that. That sounds like a lot of fun. By the way, thanks to Kirby's Visor, Michael Porter, and others for the hashtag JT to NYC. Appreciate those who have been seeing those fly through the comment section online. Can we get them on so the Lombardi list first? Listen, um, look, those simps that vote on those awards, it Just goes, it just goes to show you how campaigns like this are both necessary and necessary and effective that these people will do whatever you tell them to do, as long as you tell them loud enough. And that's what we're about to do. And we're going to watch the mountain come our way over the course of time with this hashtag JD to NYC. We're going to get Jordan Davis to New York as a Heisman finalist. That is our mission here on dog nation daily. And we'll be back at 10 AM tomorrow to do that. But for now for Mike Griffith and Connor Riley and Jeff Sintel and everybody else that's been a part of cover Four live, appreciate your fun conversation steve highland appreciate you checking in there as well on that uh great times as per usual don't forget we got a big cover Four live announcement we're going to make very very soon i think it's going to be a good one so we'll tell you all about that uh coming up the days to come but for now thanks for being here on cover Four live enjoy the game this weekend and follow all the recruiting action and the action on the field there as well and we'll talk to you again very soon here on cover Four live